The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by two excellent co-hosts. Laura Nash. And Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about The Entropy Center, uh, which is a first-person puzzle game by uh, Stubby Games. This is the first game from an indie developer headquartered in Burgess Hill, England, called Stubby Games, which is headed by Daniel Stubbington. And by headed by, you mean is entirely Daniel Stubbington. Solo developer Daniel Stubbington. First of all, I don't know if Daniel Stubbington is his real name or if it's just a name he made up to sound extra British. It's the most British sounding thing I've ever heard. Um, the only Maybe he could be something like, I don't know, Percival Stubbington IV or something like that. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. I am prepared to I am prepared to not uh, immediately discount him based on his last name. He does appear to have uh, after a, a, a cursory Google search turns up multiple references to a live human being named Daniel Stubbington. All right, so. good for you, Mr. Stubbington. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm really shocked that this is a, a solo developer like deal i mean you know no game on this scale is ever completely solo i'm i i don't find any details about it i i would be wouldn't be surprised if he had other collaborators in terms of maybe you know music or or other stuff um certainly he hired voice actors um but it seems to be essentially a solo developer daniel stubbington um and uh this is a really impressive first person puzzle game does anybody want to uh sort of intro what this thing is all about yeah absolutely um so i i think it's it's very difficult to talk about games in this space without almost immediately mentioning portal uh but this is a uh uh it, it is a first person puzzle game um that takes place in a series of test chambers very much mm-hmm. like portal so um the 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 comparison is very much worn on its sleeve we're uh, we're going to talk about we're going to do that comparison here for the first few minutes and then i'm going to get out a jar and people are going to have to put a quarter in every time they no. say portal after some point you you simply can't because um well i have a lot to say about <laughs> about uh comparisons it with that uh with that particular genre and uh and uh idea space like people people's comparisons are a big part of of the talk around this game but to be specific on this one um the in this game uh it is that classic video game setup of hey you wake up in a weird in a weird place don't know what's going on uh very soon afterwards you find a talking gun that can rewind time and you use that to go through a series of uh of various different puzzles i i I guess that's as much as i can really say without uh spoiling some of the narrative so to speak i would say that that a lot of that comes so early in the game Mm -hmm. uh by by runtime that i don't think it's a huge spoiler although it yeah so yeah a lot of it is in the trailer yeah the trailer gives you a gives you a lot to go on so essentially you are on the moon um in a place called the entropy center always the best place for a game to take place cool place to be on the Mm -hmm. moon and uh in in this game as you uh as you start exploring you find that this 
place is dedicated to um, collecting entropy energy by you doing these puzzles. Uh, and it is using that as a way of safeguarding the human race by you know being prepared to rewind time with these time rewinding devices uh the the gun that you're holding uh as i mentioned a talking gun um has a very um kind of funny helper personality like you you've probably uh, uh seen this kind of character it's it's, it's like uh, like glados but nice easy comparison but she's i don't know i uh astra is the name of the the robot yes. that lives in your gun and I think she's a. I think she's really cute. I mean, I, I honestly yeah. think that the uh, the humor in this is like landed for me more than it failed, which is yeah. more than I can say for a lot of games like this. Yeah, the developer said that the inspiration came from the trailer for Tenant, which was one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard <laughs> because it's not the movie Tenant; it's the trailer of like what would this be, and that's um, including the Britishness. I mean, it's Entropy Center that's RE funny. even. So mm. I. Um, I mean, Daniel Stubbington, I am already know that this person is British from the opening, but <laughs> okay. I'm okay with the entropy's entropy, building a better tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just love the idea that um, this is what you think Tenet is going to be about before you see Tenet. Um, the idea hilarious. that you can yeah. point a gun at objects and reverse them. It is weird that there were so many cubes in the Tenet trailer and then so few in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and bounce pads. Yeah. yeah. This is, you know, so th- this is a first-person puzzle game, and when you hear first-person puzzle game, you do immediately think of Portal, but like the, the groundwork has been laid. This is, a, this is an established formula. Um, it's only the the key mecha- the core mechanic the gun is the thing that this game does that is fairly original and then the the like puzzle elements uh, I think wisely are kept very simple you know the the, the and familiar so you are uh, going through these test chambers like Shane mentioned uh, very very reminiscent of the structure yeah. of of like a portal game and there's been lots of imitators since um, and of which this is one and. Um, Generally, the goal is I need to get out of that door, but in between you and the door are a number of obstacles, things like locked doors that can only be unlocked if you or a cube is placed on a particular pad, jump pads that fling you through the air, things like rivers where you can place something in a river and it'll float lazily down the river at a set pace, Um, lots of other little elements like that. The sort of things that you would expect in a first-person puzzle game. Uh, Walls that you can see through, but not shoot your gun through. Walls that you can see through and shoot your gun through. Walls that you can do neither. Um, All that kind of stuff. Walls that reset time. Walls you can't bring your brick through. Exactly, yeah. So all the kinds of stuff that you expect in this kind of game, if you've ever played one before. And if you haven't... um, this is actually not a bad start for for this genre. If you're not used to uh, first person puzzle games, I think it has a really good build in terms of difficulty. Um, Definitely, but yeah, the the core mechanic, the gun, is the big thing that's different between this and other games like this that you may have played. <coughs> Portal. <clears throat> Um, so I don't know, Laura, do you want to explain the, the gun mechanic or? Yeah. So the idea is that you uh, like. Most games, you can pick up and move objects, but what it gets a little more fun is that you can shoot your gun at something and uh, use it to reverse time. So when you pick up, uh, let's say you pick up a cube and you start walking with it, your gun is going to have a clock on it that counts, um, that shows how long 
of a timer you have to reverse time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can then, let's say it gets up to 21 seconds. Uh, then you can reverse that by shooting it and reverse it back in time that 21 seconds. So you you can't go past the timer. You can't go for too far away from the object. But there are some limitations to the time rewinding. But you can shoot at your cube or whatever object you're reversing and use it to go back in time that length of time. Um, yeah. And notably, just that one object. So you're not reversing in time. Other objects in the space aren't reversing in time. This lets you do things like drop a cube and then later on shoot it with your gun to have it levitate back up to where it was. That kind of Yes. Thing. And you could stop it at any point in that travel time. So if you pick a, bo- a cube up and you walk 300 feet, you can go back 50 and stop. You can go back 100 and go all the way back to the beginning. And you can pause it at any point in that trajectory as you go. So you Although might- you can't like hit play and have it go back through what it no it will stop where it is at the uh, current time that got me several times uh had you know rewound this thing a little too far now i've got to reset the puzzle try again Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah and also importantly you can really only rewind one object at a time so if you do you know rewind something and say it's like midway through its little rewind or whatever and then you use your gun on a different object whatever you were previously rewinding will just drop to the ground and its sort of rewind timeline will be forgotten um so your that's a that's probably the biggest limitation that i can remember um i think earlier you can have it but you can't have two mid rewind like you can you can you can uh if you think about like unrolling a spool you could unroll both spools at once and start winding it but you can't like go back and forth that may be more accurate and i'm wondering if maybe there's little finer points to this that are sort of the deal and you might run into puzzles where it's very important to like remember and understand some finer point of exactly how this interacts they're Um, on individual timelines but it's also very easy at any point you could accidentally hit b or hit whatever button and shoot it and reset one of them so like that might be what you're doing they are on their own tracks per se, but um, they are almost identical cubes. So <laughs> it can be very easy to pick up one, you know, which one is the one that I did all this to. However, you can hit a button and preview what the track is, which I used quite a lot, especially in early rooms when there are like three cubes and you're doing something. Later on, there's more objects and you're not just shooting cubes all oh, the yeah. time. Um, but towards the beginning, it, it's very much like a three card Monty problem. <laughs> yeah, it, it is kind of. Uh, the, the nice um it's like very helpful the way that it shows those kind of trails i i almost mm-hmm. think of it like the objects having a tail um yeah dotted line going back along the path that uh you know they have previously you know, moved along and you can kind of rewind them and stop them at any point there yeah, and early on, because I was having such trouble um, remembering to drop cubes, I was picking up something and like walking in a circle on the platform so that uh, I could have a while, like just to yeah. give myself time, because it doesn't time when you're standing still because it's designed to drop you at any point. But I was just so bad at missing the time that I started uh, just walking in circles on the pad. So I had more buffer yeah. time. Yeah, I actually did the same thing. It's It was <laughs> yeah. the, the, kind of funny. It makes sense. The thing that I ended up doing, uh, so many of these puzzles end up boiling down to, um, you know, you're going to have to move a block or two blocks or, you know, various objects um, in a set order um, onto a series of different pressure plates. So uh, the the 
the order, you know, the order, it, you basically are putting the blocks in onto the pressure plates in kind of reverse order. Well, you know, sometimes my, you know, my brain doesn't necessarily want to come up with exactly what that order is. So uh, a nice hack is just put the blocks on every single pressure plate, like, three or four times <laughs> and you'll be able yeah. to just rewind to wherever you need it to go so uh put it on really every plate the... make little circles on every plate uh-huh. to a three second buffer spin, like spin around three times <laughs> next plate spin around three times uh, oh man you know, that you... that strategy only only really worked for me for the first like uh i don't know three hours and after that like i was starting to run into stuff that got like, the timing is too mm-hmm. too tight. Yeah, yeah. There's timing issues, or just like, or just stuff that I didn't think of. Like, yep. like the the first uh, puzzle that really stopped me was one that involved um, dropping a yep. uh, a block from a platform and then having to catch it from a lower platform. Basically, yeah, I know exactly the one you mean. Yeah, and um, man, that had me stumped for a long time because you can't really snatch it out of thin air. You have to use the sort of you have to drop it and then use the rewind to like levitate it back up to where you can grab it. And anyway, lots of that kind of thing started started happening. That was really quite difficult. Um, also, there are some moments in this that um, like I would definitely not say this game has combat, but there are bits where this game will uh, like try to break the the like pattern of just constantly throwing puzzle after puzzle at, at you by having things like little chase sequences or little times where you're being attacked by robots there is a rail shooter yeah in, in between the first two worlds it which i was not expecting um get on this little platform and move and the world's gonna fall apart and you have to shoot objects before you die i was mm. like why is there a real shooter in this game yeah well these, yeah these great it's little like, little like set pieces like they're and um i i really really like there, there's one where there's a there's like you're escaping from like a flood of water that's coming up and you, you you it's quite a lengthy little sequence where you have to like rewind time just right to like get a, a falling pillar to become a bridge that you can cross that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's what I would call a real shooter because uh, you're like yeah. moving. And then finally you escape from the like rising tide of water and Astra says something like, thank you for not getting me wet. <laughs> that was very funny. I see you um, have survived. Yeah. But um uh and, and then there's there's uh there's the, the the entropy center is populated by these little like very cutesy um robots that are kind of like a a cross between like um, mid-century modern furniture and an ibo and they're just little smiley cubes with little little antenna arms i guess and um uh they can shoot at times they get mad at you and can shoot balls of lightning at you but of course you can rewind the lightning to fling the balls of lightning back at them um so even when it decides to do like very light combat you're still doing it via rewind which i thought was clever yeah i I think i appreciated is the ability to get a lot of red herrings out of the way so there are things you can rewind and they will just stay that way permanently and Mm. you know they're not part of the puzzle and i loved this i do know a couple of people in like steam comments said that made things too easy but i was like no if this is not part of the puzzle i just put it back and it never can touch it again i am so happy with that decision like oh yeah highlight things i can move don't let me point at things i can't touch like like they said um that they the 
interactable objects shouldn't be highlighted and that you should like everything should collapse after you point at it. And I was like, nope, oh, those are quality of life improvements. Very and foolish you're wrong. in my opinion. <laughs> yes, you're wrong. Yeah, no, like in, in a in a game like this, like it, these are these are spaces that are cluttered with with stuff. We haven't talked too much yet about like the environments of the yeah. uh, of the entropy center, but like areas that are cluttered with stuff, things like CRT monitors sitting on on like very officey desks, and Ding. like yeah, you, you know, mm-hmm. gamer brain will sometimes pop up and say like, hey, you're spending all this time figuring out this puzzle because you only have one cube. But like that CRT monitor looks pretty heavy. You could probably put that on one of these mm-hmm. pads. But no, like because you can't pick it up yeah. because this is a puzzle game, and it's fine. It's perfectly uh-huh. fine. Yeah, I would say like that when you um, when you look at games that are kind of in this um, like micro genre, you know, of first person puzzle games, um, there are games that are completely carried by their their core mechanic right that's kind of what they all want to be is Mm -hmm. is how how portal kind of had the whole thing completely like you're you're you get the you get the you get the special magic gun you're sold uh you know the 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 critique of this genre is usually like okay you know you it's you get one gimmick and then you you know make maybe four to six hours of content uh for that gimmick and and like that's your game uh, but that's why there's been no portal three. It's been 10 years. You don't, portal people two. don't like to hear it. They don't like, they don't like to hear the, the, the harsh truth, but the truth is that there can never be a portal three because they're all out of puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, so th- this kind of like game space is kind of, is kind of limited and, and it grows out of its limitations. Like you can't, uh, you you could have a game where like you have the time rewindy gun and you can use it on everything, but uh, that it's a very different game at that point. It's not really the same kind of like puzzle game. So uh, you you kind of have to have those limitations for it to work. That said, I did feel the disappointment of that. I, I you know you pick up that gun and you're immediately like ah uh, you know this. I saw in the trailer, I saw this do some pretty incredible stuff. Uh, and then you pick it up and you walk into the next room and there's one thing you can point it at and it glows orange. Like I, I, I totally get that. That is a, uh, it's, it's not, it's not a sandbox game. It's a puzzle game. And I, but the world is very large and I can see why you feel like it might be a sandbox game because the environment is so large and there are so many rooms. And it's so detailed. And the environment is so detailed and realistic. That's exactly it. Because And I can't read yeah. all the dossiers and I wanted to pick them all mm-hmm. up. Like, yeah. It's not a it's not like a a a, a white box uh, or gray box like wireframe thing. Like some some puzzle games like in this genre, like cube, um, with with a Q, which I did not like very much. Um you know, are are you know, they're they're trying to reduce this down to uh, down to just shapes. Um, and that's, you know, for good reason, puzzles often work best when you reduce all that clutter and, you know, people will, will be able to focus more on the specific puzzle being set to them, but God, that's boring, right? Like I really liked the elements of this where you, you know, you do have those, uh, portal, or I even thought a lot of control like spaces where you're exploring these like bizarre mid-century office areas. And there are like, slideshows about the time they rewound the earth to save the pandas, that kind of thing. 
Um, and that's that kind of color as well as just the color of like the talking gun and all of that stuff. Like you, you don't get that if you, if you have a game that's reduced down to just like, can I fit like rectangular shapes into rectangular holes? Like having, having the flavor of this, having like, having like being a space with stuff in it uh, where you can tell a little bit of a story through the gosh, I'm just about to use the, the, the phrase environmental storytelling. Like you can't do that if you are doing a puzzle game where you've reduced everything down to its component parts. So I I think they really threaded the needle well here. Um, And I am fine with only being able to interact with the orange glow stuff. (laughs) Right. I I am. And I'm not, there's a lot of room for like, how you interact with the environment in a first person puzzle game. I think about games like super liminal that we played. And in that mm-hmm. game, like mm-hmm. the, the environment yeah. is, is incredibly detailed and surreal and like does try to tell you a story, you know, although it's a very surreal story and is very intricately linked to the, the way that the game plays uh, and I think about game, you know, you, you talked about games that are more like a wireframe. I, I mean, think about things like Manifold Garden, which is like a first person puzzle game as well. God, and, that game you know, would gas. Yeah. And, you know, and that had, the, again, a very abstract uh, thing where you were. That's true. You've made a liar out of me. I love that puzzles game. in an infinitely like complex geometric uh, space that that kind of thing is really cool. And, and it really works uh, in this game. I I felt like the gun had two things that it could do right one is rewind cubes right and the puzzles Mm -hmm. are all rewind cubes and then the second thing that it could do was um set piece action rewinds right Mm -hmm. so that the the cool thing is that this game does i think better than a lot of first person puzzle games tell a story and kind of set a scene not you know i I think the, the the portal games really put a ton of effort into that, but uh, and and people really enjoyed that aspect of them. But you know, most but, games but in this genre decade, don't tell a story. <laughs> yeah, uh, most games in this genre don't tell a story. You know, you think about first person, um, you know, actiony puzzle games. You know, I, I even think about games like Super Hot and things like that. The, they're not typically very story rich. Uh, this game tries to give you these kind of big set piece things that you feel like you're a part of. Um, but it does feel very separate from the puzzle solving with, with, you know, sometimes there's the occasional exception of like, well, you need to rewind, um, a platform that you're going to be jumping onto to get out of the, out of the room. Uh, but mostly the game is a game about moving blocks around and, and, and so it, it does kind of feel a little disconnected in that way for me. I think the story is mostly in the progress bar oddly enough like the idea that after each time you finish it you're getting a little bit more entropy like you're getting a little bit more of the world it's the idea is that you're building towards something but you don't know what and i think that's that's an interesting tweak on other games that are just like great you did the next level <laughs> like this is like oh there's a counter like what is this counter building towards what why am i building entropy energy what is what am I six percent, ten percent, twelve percent towards? So I think it's like an interesting balance that that's the intrigue is the progress bar. I'm pretty sure it's in the trailer. There is this one initial big set piece 
uh, it's the first three minutes of the scene. game. It's, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's very yeah. early. The the we're talking about the moment where we see the Earth get hit by the giant meteor. Yeah, or whatever it's not it is, right. It's not quite the first three minutes. I think you definitely. Play yeah, you've been playing a while. It's, that, but it's but... within the first two hours of the at the most. And this mm-hmm. is, a, by the way, we have. Oh, I meant so. the opening scene. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay. I... Yeah, I. So I believe this game is about ten hours. Um, and I, I'm saying that I believe because I haven't actually finished it yet. Um, we try to finish games for this show. Uh, this one is a little on the longer side for us, and just because of the way that the timing of the episode ended up, um, I was not able to complete it before the deadline. Um, but I played quite a lot of it at this point, and um really really enjoyed what i've played so far um so if there's any big reveals in the last 10 minutes and it wouldn't surprise me if they did something fun with that um cool i'm looking forward to that but you won't get spoiled by me because i don't know it yet um but the the in the set pieces at the beginning incredible like the you know you've you've figured out the the entropy rewinding mechanic and then we see by the beginning you mean just for clarification, we were talking about two different things. I was talking yes. about the cutscene at the beginning. Reagan is talking about revisiting this several hours into the game. Yes. Yes. Sorry, okay. remind me about the cutscene at the beginning because it's been a little long and long enough that I'm not sure I remember what you're talking about. At the beginning, you were walking along a path and you see oh. these odd floating like office yes. rooms floating in space, right. and ahead of you is the Earth, and then you see the Earth get hit. And a huge explosion, and then you wake up in a room in the entropy center, right? With and that, no memory that of how you got there. Initial scene has a sort of uh, like surreal quality to it, so I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of in. I mean, I'm. I, I, it I'm, is interpreted. It could be a dream. It could be reality. It is. Unclear. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, but yeah, w- it, there's a very dramatic moment about I don't know, maybe an hour and a half or so into the game, where you step out into a into an area where you clearly see. Oh yeah, we actually are on the moon, and you're looking out at the the Earth, and you see it get absolutely creamed. Um, and the 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 thing that's implied really heavily early on it like to the point where like i think it treats it as a little bit of a reveal but it's been implied so heavily that it's not is that the the idea that like that we have rewound this specific event so many times that that is why the earth the the entropy center is in absolute ruins like there'll be you know voiceover from the robot voice announcer that's like uh uh we have rewound uh i don't know nine 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 like there's been a buffer overrun on the number of times they've they've had to try to to correct this absolute devastation of the earth by a giant meteor um and it's that's a fun idea like you know it's a, it's obviously got, got like a like a um climate change angle because we all think about that a lot right now and they specifically hammer on that sometimes like they you know they rewound uh you know five years to save the pandas that kind of thing um but like this idea of like rewinding the earth to stop a giant meteor but like you can't the meteor's too big and too fast like that's a really fun idea uh and um you know you think we've all been in a video game where like we saved and uh it was it was too late your say your game save was a little bit too uh mm-hmm. too close to the end but it's also pretty lighthearted like i know it is a game about the doomed yeah. earth and the failure of humanity to save it uh, a very poignant theme at the moment um but there we are and uh but it's still it's still a comedy basically and uh you know and not just because astra is cute and 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 
chipper. Um, there's a kind of a just general dry humor to the whole thing. I didn't know that this actually I should have guessed. Why did I not? I was about to say I didn't know that this game was was British. And then I'm like, wait, the title I should have known from the very beginning. <laughs> but it does have a certain certain Britishiness to the humor of it. That's very dry. And, and I think it's uh, it works really well. Uh, so uh, did y'all see um, uh, Don't Look Up? No, no. In fact, I wanted to. I, I specifically chose not to see "Don't Look Up" because I was too. I was worried it would be too nihilistic for me. Uh, it's a. It's a real. Um, I mean, it, I. I found myself liking it in spite of in spite of the movie. I've I heard I'm, people loved it or people hated it, so I'm, I'm glad to hear someone who does a middle ground opinion. Yeah, I, I both loved and hated it. So yes, I will, I'll take my stand there in the middle. This game mm. kind of uh, kind of reminded me of that. Anytime you were seeing like someone's old PowerPoint left up or something about the various ways they have rewound the end of the world. We're all just trying to push it back one more minute. Mm-hmm. Relatable content. <laughs> oh, God. I want to give a brief kudos to the way that this sections puzzles because... Um, as I mentioned before, some games are incredibly portal-like of like, you are in this room, you finish it, you're in this room. And this has some of that DNA, but that does group them into like zones or levels and themes um, where there's often like a breakup uh, set piece or another like different type of game, different type of puzzle level in the middle of it. I appreciated that grouping because to me, that's the right length to play a game like this. I get a little uh, tired and ready for something else about like, hour and a half to two hours of a puzzle game like this. Um, And I really appreciated like puzzle zone one, puzzle zone two, Laura, go make dinner. (laughs) Like Mm. it sounds like such an odd thing to praise a game for, but so few puzzle games are grouped in a way that makes your life easy to live. They often are like really hard to guess how long it is. You might have one puzzle that takes 20 minutes and is like eight rooms long, followed by a puzzle that's just like incredibly hard and tiny. Like it, it can be really hard to gauge time in a puzzle game. So anything to make that like quality of life better. I appreciate this person seems to have played a lot of puzzle games and made it to get around that pet beef. And I was mm-hmm. very happy for that. Yeah, the structure of games has not improved since the Mario Three Overworld. And a hundred percent, people people need to be looking back. <laughs> give me, <laughs> give me games where I can tell how close I am to the end. Uh, give me checkpoints. Let me know where I checkpoints. am. <laughs> let mm-hmm. me let me detour through the forest, please. Yeah, let, um. I, I totally agree, and I, I also appreciated the way that it is. It has explicit acts with act breaks, yeah, kind I, of. I love you that. know, it has mm-hmm. kind of an act, and then you know, usually at the beginning or end of an act, there'll be a little like you know. Sometimes with these big set pieces, but also sometimes there's just little minor stuff like, uh, like I'm thinking of the the moment on the elevator where like you know it it's faded in from a uh, from the previous act, and you see she's been riding a lengthy one of those like sideways like uh, what do you call those um, the elevators that go on like a slant, um, uh, funicular funicular she's riding some kind of like lengthy funicular ride and she's been tossing you see the the end of her tossing a a can into a uh into a, a you know trash can and rewinding it so she can toss it again and she finally makes the basket and Astra says something like that took you 48 tries and uh you know there's a very small moment but like those little those little moments um did a great job of like 
say, okay, yes, this is the beginning of a new act. Um, I like that quite a lot. So yeah, very well paced, I thought, and and uh, and pretty decent interspersing of of the like narrative and humorous content in between the puzzles. Yeah, so much of a puzzle game is a tutorial that is fun to play. Like that's what puzzle games are in many yeah, ways. Basically. And and so like breaks where you can take a you know go get a sandwich and come back and you're not like worried about that like losing that expertise i want every puzzle game to do this and it doesn't happen enough yeah it's it's well done here i was also um gonna also briefly call out uh, how i think this game is, has really really good performance for what it is um it's a very attractive game i think like you know, I, I don't think it's like, you know, it's not like ultra next gen HDR, you know, RTX, whatever, but it's really nice looking like, um, you know, beautiful environments with lots of little detailed objects and stuff. Um, and it, I mean, I was playing this entirely on the Steam Deck. Um, you can play the sound effect because I'm talking about the Steam Deck again, but here we are. And it's, uh, it ran at 60 FPS the entire time. Which mm-hmm. was and at default settings, which looked really nice. Um, not always the case for 3D games of any kind, um, and yet this one, like the only time it dipped was certain scenes where there was a lot of water. Um, and I, I was just, I was like super impressed with the performance. And this game is out on everything. It's on PlayStation Four and Five, at Xbox One, and the Series. And I think it would probably run just fine on any of those. If it ran as well as it did for me on the Steam Deck, it'll probably run just fine on whatever your chosen game device of choice is. Played beautifully so, on uh, Xbox S-, S for me. Nice. Yeah. So I was really, really impressed with it from that angle, too. Um, so, yeah, it's on Steam. I mentioned, uh, what is the price of this game? I $25. $25. A, a respectable indie price. Um, and honestly, 25 bucks for this is a, that's a great, honestly, this is a really, really polished game. I just think it's really, really cool. Um, any last thoughts on the Entropy Center? Uh, one tiny one, the dev has said that, uh, he's working on DLC or not even DLC, just more content, like the more stuff for it. So I think, uh, the world is something that if you like it, there's gotta be more of it probably. Yeah. It hardly needs it. It's, it feels like quite a package, but like, yeah, that's great. Sure. Throw me more puzzles or whatever. Um, so you can find this game on all the platforms I just mentioned at, uh, $25 presumably. Uh, and, uh, I would say about 10 hours, uh, or maybe a little less depending on what kind of dunce you are. Uh, do we have time for some, what's making us happy this week? Yeah. So Shane, what's making you happy this week? The thing making me happy this week is a game that uh, my whole family has kind of been getting into and playing. Uh, a little bit of uh, a, a throwback, I guess. This one's from 2018. Uh, the game's called Love You to Bits. Have either of you guys ever seen or heard this one? Oh, before? Um, I feel like we've talked about it on the show, haven't we? I don't know if we have or not. I certainly hadn't. Uh, Julia found it because she was looking for something to play with Ty and... Um, uh, it's on Apple Arcade. Uh, it's in the App Store. It's on Google, um, and it is a you know point and click adventure. But so basically, it's a uh, uh, it's this story of a little tiny kind of human explorer uh, who's on a on a spaceship with his robot girlfriend, and they get uh, blown up by a villain and. Uh, 
her his robot girlfriend all of her little robot parts are blasted yes. onto different planets yes i played this on yes on this is for the tiny thief people yeah that's, that's right why I played I this years ago yes you played this yes well it's i i'm playing it just now and oh, i'm uh, so happy it's still around yeah it's great i honestly i'm gonna be uh looking at all their other games this is uh the alike is the studio and they've done several other games there's love you to bits bring you home all of you I, they all seem like they have a little bit of the same dna something called very little nightmares i by the way i i i've had uh little nightmares on my steam account i downloaded it just to check it out on the steam deck uh, i'm back into that game as well very little nightmares is like little nightmares for kids which is kind of weird but okay um anyway uh love you to bits the thing that i really like about it is it has all the dna of a point and click adventure game but instead of like you know having your character explore like screen to screen and going around and you know collecting all the keys or whatever every single um every single bit of this is one screen um and it's like a bunch of little one screen point and click adventure games um and so it's it's simple enough that like anybody can really engage with it um and every single level has some kind of uh, gimmick uh, that's that's unique and fun like you know one will be a planet that's round and like all four seasons are represented on it like a like different quadrants of a pie and and one will be you know a uh, an alien abduction scene that you uh, that is being rewound over and over again uh, and you know that basically every single l- little scene um, is quick enough that you can do like very very you can you can play it in uh you know maybe a couple of minutes um but it's they're they're fun and obscure enough that the puzzles were always like pretty satisfying and uh it was a it was a big hit with the five-year-old set for uh uh for for the kelly household so i gotta recommend this one i i I don't if we have talked about it on the show i'm kind of surprised i wonder when that was but uh great game you know i think i'm misremembering i think i played it thinking that I might suggest it for the show and I didn't finish it, but I played a good chunk of it on iOS like years ago Mm -hmm. thinking like, Hey, this might be for the show. And then, and I don't think I ever did actually end up bringing it up. So I'm glad you did. Uh, so Laura, what's making you happy this week? Well, uh, a friend at work, Amanda, uh, referred me to learned league and I was very skeptical. This is an online trivia league where they send you six questions a day. And I'd looked at the questions and I was like, I don't get this. This is like a weird trivia cult. Um, all I do is that you have to be referred into it. You, like you can't just join you like the person like, are you allowed to, to talk sign about on it a, on a podcast? Well, yeah, the person you like, you can refer a friend, and then you're like, sign on the Bible or whatever that they're not going to cheat because, like, like I vouch for this person, they won't cheat and wreck my personal reputation. Um, it's it's very strange. Like they send you an email, and it's it it's like an impenetrable. Like you have reached this person, and here's your score of whatever, but. The the trick is that you get one season. Your rookie season is free. And then after that, you pay dues. And a lot of people pay dues. So I was like, what is this? And why does everyone like it? Um, 
The answer is it's a trivia league where it's not about how many things you know. It's about how well you guessed your opponent's going to get. So the idea mm. is that you play defense. Like you answer, you get six questions and you can answer them. And then you assign the point values for your opponent. So you can look at their history of questions, be like, this person sucks at literature. So I'm going to assign the literature question three points. They've gotten every single current event. So the current event one's zero points. Hmm. And you like play defense at it. Um, am I enjoying this because I'm currently ranked first in the rookie league? Absolutely. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this, nice. Is, this, this is the last day I could probably say that because like at any day my streak will be broken. I've, I've won the first seven games. Is there money on the line for this? Because I hope no. you uh, hope you clean up. No, there's no money on the line. Okay. Apparently, the, the winner the, of the, the top ranked, just... the winner of the top ranked league gets a scarf. Like, there's literally nothing else. This the other weird thing is it's real names, but not really. So it's it's your first. You can't choose your username. It's your first initial and your last name. Hmm. And so, day like four, I was matched up with somebody who I'm pretty sure I knew at Northwestern. You also can see if they choose to put your college in. So I was like. First letter, very unique last name. Pretty sure I got drunk with this person like 15 years ago. (laughs) And it was just wild. It's such a weird, pedantic thing. The questions are incredibly complex, but fair. There's only six a day. And I probably get maybe three right. But... I, I tend to open it in the morning and I look at the question and go, this is horrible. I know none of these. And then after I've had coffee in the afternoon, I look at it and I'm like, oh, I actually know some of these. <laughs> but it's one of those you have entire, I have until like three in the morning to answer them every day. Um, it says every time, do not cheat, like do not forfeit is in every mm-hmm. single email. Um, there's so many statistics. Um, this has been written up in the New Yorker. This has been written up in the Ringer. People talk about this like a cult. And I, I kind of was like, I like trivia, but I don't know if I'm like a do this every day type of person. Mm-hmm. I'm still juries out, but I am really enjoying um, the commissioner is named Commissioner Thorsten A. Integrity. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's incredibly low tech. The stats page are like baseball or baseball level. Like <laughs> other people who have categories are like, like K Jennings, D Benioff, like a bunch of like entertainment people are in here because it's real names. And so I'm, I'm still in the rookie league. That's the only reason why I'm on top. But this is so strange. I feel like I've been invited to a club that I'm doing well at and don't know if I want to commit. Um, but I don't know. Like, is this going to be the thing I end up doing for the rest of my life? I have no idea. <laughs> um, well, good luck. You'll get that scarf someday, Laura. The 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 defense thing is actually, I think, what I'm better at. Because I'm not better at answering the questions than everyone in the rookie league. But I seem mm-hmm. to be way better at guessing what people are going to get right than others. Mm-hmm. My defense is incredibly high. Again, because they have statistics, I have apparently given up for every... Um, my opponents tend to get 0.892 of every point, <laughs> like of every possible point. So hmm. I apparently underscore them every single time so far. We'll see if this continues. 
Well, I will ask for an update when you, uh, I don't know, are there seasons or how does that work? Like It you... is seasons. So the, um, the rookie season um, will expire February 9th. So it started, um, let me see if I can get you a sample question. This site is absolutely, um, this, it, it looks like I'm, Look at like a web 2.0 thing. This <laughs> is so out of date. Um, the phrasing of the question is what's wild. For example, um, in the NATO phonetic alphabet, A equals alpha, B equals bravo, C equals Charlie, etc. One letter is represented by a word that is the name of a national capital city. What is that city? Lima? Yeah. So okay. that's what I gave zero points to today because I was like, pretty sure most people can, with an entire day, remember the NATO alphabet if they're yeah. signing up for an online trivia league. I was like, is Lima a capital city? I don't even know. But see, that's the thing. You're like, huh. <laughs> I did gave three points to a geological process known as orogeny refers per the term's Greek root to the formation of what? Stone? I said caves. The answer was mountains. Oh, okay. So I was like, someone could guess that, but like, I wouldn't have guessed mountains. So the questions are weird. The whole thing's a cult. <laughs> I'm Trick into cult. it, but I don't know if I'm going to pay for it after my rookie year. The more questions you answer, the 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 clearer your thetans become. Well, the thing is, every time I talk to someone, I'm like, I'm trying Learned League. They've either never heard of it, or they're like, oh my god, I've been playing for three years. How did you get a referral? And I'm like, what? What? Like I asked you. someone never... at work kind of forced it on me. <laughs> so <laughs> sounds like Six Sigma meets meets Scientology. <laughs> good luck. It, yeah, good luck. Um I will every weekday until February be playing this and then we'll decide if I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. Watch me like suddenly turn now that I've said I'm doing well on the podcast. I'm gonna lose my next seven matches and just uh, be a disgrace. How much money are we talking about here for Oh, dudes? it's like thirty dollars a year. It's 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 the same oh, okay. amount of like a it's in, like a New York Times crossword kind of subscription like or something. Everyone throws in three hundred bucks and then whoever walks away with the gold gets a car or something. No, yeah. it's it's literally just paying the person to like write the points, do all the management mm. and pay some coders. Like gotcha. it's 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 you know, it's less than a $5 Patreon. So hey, great. Love it. Well, um, speaking of $5 Patreons, no. Uh, <laughs> so, so this week uh, has, uh, has seen the implosion of Twitter, which is not the thing that's making me happy. Uh, I actually love Twitter. I've been using it for over a decade and it's, uh, it's an important place for me. It's like, I don't, I don't actually I, I, as I've talked about recently on the podcast, I, I've been trying to like separate myself from it a little bit more, um, especially now that it's owned by a weirdo who seems to have the best interests of no one at heart. Um, just a wild set of events that I won't comment on here. Um, but man, weird stuff. But it had me again thinking about like, is there another place for me on the internet if Twitter becomes intolerable? Um, and so I just thought I'd give a quick plug for Mastodon is actually good, guys. Really? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. No, I um so I I've back in like 2016, I think, maybe 2018, I forget. Um I I there was a, a you know, a previous sort of exodus, I think based on some bad moderation decisions around trans people, if I recall correctly, um on Twitter that had me ending, you know, creating a Mastodon account way back then and just checking it out. And I didn't stick with it, but I did, you know, I, I, I did figure out the basics. Um, but coming back to it years later, I'm extremely impressed with how most of the technical issues that I ran into back then have been pretty much entirely solved. And um, it has, I think, a pretty good culture for one of these. Um, and I've had a lot of fun, more fun using Mastodon than I've had using Twitter in years over the last two weeks. Um, so I thought I'd give it a bit of a plug. Uh, I know it's a little confusing, so I won't, I won't give you the whole spiel here, but the, the, um, you know, if you, if you are curious about Mastodon, um, uh, or curious about like a second social network other than Twitter to add to your, you know, I don't think anybody, even the people on Mastodon are like, some of them are hardliners who've just like deleted their Twitter and moved on. I'm more in the camp that I think is pretty large of just like, I need to have some other place in case Twitter becomes completely intolerable. And right now it is, you know, the frog is boiling. Um, so, uh, but it's, you know, it, it, the, the, the technical stuff of Mastodon uh, ends up putting a lot of people off that I think otherwise would end up enjoying it a lot. You don't really need to know most of the stuff about Mastodon and how it works under the hood to enjoy it. Um, it's essentially... Uh, a Twitter clone with some thoughtful changes, um, but the the stuff that you're that you kind of need to understand. Um, Mastodon is not a single service run by a single person. Um, it is a federated platform. That's the terminology, but the what that really means is that um, there are a bunch of different people that run their own Mastodon servers or instances that all talk to each other. It doesn't really matter which one you're on. Um, they have a website called joinmastodon.org where you can go and see a directory of servers that you can join. The main thing that you're deciding when you decide to join a particular Mastodon server, um, it doesn't mean that you can't talk to just anybody. Uh, it really only affects like what is the at something or other.com or what have you at the end of your, your username, which is very similar to email. Um, but the big thing that you're choosing when you choose a Mastodon server is uh, each of them have their own moderation team. So unlike something like Twitter, where they have, you know, billions of users and a team of thousands doing all the moderation, and it's this totally black box. Um, when you join a Mastodon server, uh, you are putting your account on that server and your mods, the people who are deciding whether, for example, like your, you know, your posts are bannable or whatever, are the people that run that server. And that means that uh, there's differences in rules between them. Um, and that's actually good, I think, because like, let's say that you, uh, uh, if you're, you know, it's something like Twitter, like you don't get to choose what the policies are you on Mastodon, you can. Now, let's say that you choose a server where the policies are, uh, racism is good, actually. Well, then other servers have the option to either ban you individually or ban your entire server. So there's a sort of a community consensus angle, where in general, they tend to have similar community standards, and the ones that don't mostly only connect with like-minded servers. So you're not, um, so, you know, you, not only do you not have to block individual bozos, like, you know, a Nazi joins Twitter, he has access to every single other person on Twitter. A Nazi joins Mastodon, 
Mastodon and either he gets kicked off of his instance or he joins a Nazis only Mastodon instance and all of the other thoughtful Mastodon instances say, hey, no Nazis and block the entire Nazis, you know, instance. So it's actually, I think, a really smart way of handling uh, uh, the that problem. And so there's not, I think, a lot of harassment or other bullshit on there. It's pretty chill. Um, so far. Yeah, well, so far. But hey, all these things have a, a life cycle. And I think they have they have pretty good ideas in place um, to to address that stuff. Um, and, you know, otherwise, like it's basically Twitter. Features are all pretty much the same. It works pretty much the same. Um, one notable difference is that they did away with the quote tweet uh, feature from Twitter. They don't have that on Mastodon because they believe that, or the, the main developer behind the, the, the code believes that that is primarily uh, a tool that's used to drive uh, harassment. And I kind of believe it. Um, I think it's one of those things that's, you know, there are good uses for it, but you can do all those good uses in other ways. But the, the quote tweet is, uh, is, a you know, it's a bit of a dangerous tool and uh, maybe the service is better without it. And I think Mastodon is a good example of maybe, maybe it actually is. Um, and anyway, if you're just getting started on there, um, it can be really hard to like, you, 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 it can be uh, daunting to think about like rebuilding an entire network from scratch. Um, but you don't have to feel like this is a Twitter replacement. It's another place that you can go and check out and hang out. Um, and uh, I've actually had a lot of fun building up a new network over there, um, finding new people to follow, you know, something like Twitter, I always felt like, you know, adding another person to my thousand plus Twitter follows uh, was like a commitment because man, my Twitter is already kind of unmanageable on Mastodon. I'm just following people because their profile pic looks cool and they tweet one cool thing. And then I'm finding interesting stuff. Um, so I've had a lot of fun with it. And there's also, if you're curious, uh, you know, if, if you go and sign up, there's some uh, folks who created some services that will let you do things like um, scan all of the profiles of everybody you follow on Twitter for Mastodon links and automatically follow those people on your Mastodon account. So you don't have to start 100% from scratch. For me, I follow about 1000 accounts on Twitter, and I got about 100 accounts automatically on Mastodon to follow. And many of them were the most active and interesting people uh, that I followed on Twitter already. Um, and I'm already up to about 300 people following that, like that I'm following on Mastodon and I've got a timeline that I'm enjoying reading every day. So um, I think you should check it out. I, I think it can be a little daunting for folks, but folks could, you know, I, th I think, I think more folks should check it out. Even if you are planning on sticking around on Twitter, which I am, I think it's a nice place uh, to get a different sort of vibe. Um, if you want to follow me specifically on there, I'm at Reagan at uh, Mastodon.social. Um, and uh, you, know, you can, I'll have a link. Uh, it's on my Twitter, so you can find me there too. Uh, but maybe I'll start mentioning that at the end of the show if folks want to find me on there and instead of or in addition to Twitter. Um, I know that's kind of a, it's like kind of a weird what's making me happy, but it, it's been something that I've spent a you know, chunk of time on this week and been pretty happy about. So uh, check it out. So speaking of the socials, this is the point of the show where we plug all the things. Um, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. You can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net or on Twitter at underscore short game. I haven't set up a, a, a Mastodon for the show yet. Maybe I will. Um, you can also find our uh, show on Patreon patreon.com slash the short game. And that's the number one way you can support the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, 
all of our patrons. Thank you so much. I know our, our schedules have been a little bit more inconsistent over the last few weeks as I've been slowly kind of coming back out of baby mode. Um, but uh, thank you so much for sticking with us. I really appreciate all the support from the patrons. Um, and you can, uh, and if you do support us on Patreon, uh, you get early access to episodes. As soon as they're edited, I shoot them straight to a special feed just for you. Uh, you also, if you support at the $5 level, get some stickers. And the number one uh, support benefit for all of our patrons is you get access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the show, talk about upcoming episodes, talk about old episodes. If you just want to chime in and talk about Hades, we got some folks talking about that this week, um, that kind of thing. So great place to hang out on the internet. Uh, and let's see, uh, you can find me on the internet at, uh, uh, on Twitter at Reagan K or on Mastodon at Reagan at Mastodon.social. Uh, and Laura, where can people find you? For now, you can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. Yeah, and until it, as long as it lasts and <laughs> until death takes us, we'll be there on Twitter. And Shane, where can people find you? Well, you can also find me on Twitter at 8BitShane. Uh, but, you know, given the nature of this conversation, I want to ask our listeners to reach out. Um, if we were to, you know, reduce our, our footprint on Twitter, where would you like to see us? We do, of course, yes, have please. our... our um, we do have our our Discord that's members only. Uh, but if you're a listener and not a member, or if you're a listener and you're active on other social media, I am curious. Uh, you know, should this show have a TikTok? Should this show have a subreddit? Uh, should this show have a uh, forum of some kind? I don't know. What are you doing? What do you like? Where are you guys on the internet? Um, I'm on Instagram, but it's mostly pictures of rich people's houses I've been to on vacation. So, like, that's not actually short game related. That's very specific. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have some some photos of my child on Instagram, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where I am socializing about video games. So, yeah. 100%. um, We could start. The show technically has an Instagram, uh, although I think I've never posted to it. It's 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 just some land grab. So. Yeah. Twitter is always like the the social network you set up when you want to tweet about a thing specifically and nothing else. Like yeah. like th- that's the thing about other social networks is they kind of imagine that you're you're bringing your whole life to them and Twitter was always like single serving baby. Can, yeah, this is where you can drop links and people can decide to look at your links. And there's no other real good alternative. Mastodon is the closest thing I've found, but you know, it's it's got this I, I think it does have a bit of a roof on its popularity. Um so, you know, what is, Reagan, the, what is, is the there a mastodon thing? for me to yell about uh, game shows from non-US countries that no one on the show cares about? Look, I guarantee you that, <laughs> that a couple other things about mastodon, like they, people really, really use the hashtags over there because the search system um, basically sucks um, mostly by design, but the hashtag system works well. So people use a lot of hashtags there. I uh, I bet if you went over there and you started dropping like Taskmaster hashtags, hashtags and stuff. Taskmaster, Genius, find, Belgian Mole. Yeah, um, I bet you'd find Connect. a ton of people. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, thank you listeners once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. If you have a response for Shane about where you think this show should be social, uh, we'd love to hear it. Um, and um, see you next week. Bye!